I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I've never met a dame before. This is a big moment for me. Well, I'm not going to give you much idea about what a dame's really like because I'm not really like a dame. Nothing like a dame. I am nothing like a dame. Do you use it when you book flights, though? Because I, I think you probably would have more chance of being upgraded. I met one other dame before it happened, and she said, oh, put it on your passport because you'll get upgraded and stuff. I put it on my passport, and they thought it was my Christian name. They th- said, Mrs. Dame Harriet. <laughs> uh, and they said, we haven't got you under H. I said, we'll try D. And then they said, oh, yes, Mrs. Dame. I, I'm now thinking you should hand your damehood back. I think it should go right back, really, you know. Give it to someone else. Is that the sound of Dalmatians howling? Our guest on this episode, Dame Harriet Walter, a.k.a. Lady Caroline Collingwood. Were you keeping count? So you, the first cry was the scene with Rava and Kendall where Rava says that she's taking the kids upstate, number one. Number two, did you cry when Jess tells Ken? I think I did, yeah. It wasn't a body shake one, but I felt like <laughs> just a tearing up with Jess. Then, I mean, all of us with, should we call them the wags? Uh, Logan's ladies. Logan's ladies. You cried when Rose got mentioned in Ewan's speech you sobbed while roman sobbed did you cry in kendall's speech i don't, I don't think, think so, there was no, no. i don't think there was any tearing up during shiv's speech oh i think you're 100 percent wrong about that you had a little yeah when she talks about the the big world that was her dad or whatever that yes, was yeah and then were you tear free yes oh no i know you cried again when shiv asks frank and carl how bad her dad actually was and then did you cry again when shiv talks to Marsha? I think I cried at Marsha's very last moment, thinking this is the last we'll see of her. We'll call it eight. So close to double figures. I think I could have got there if I wasn't distracted by Sandy Finesse being a fire hazard. That man fucking makes his presence known. <laughs> okay, so church and state brain dumps. Firstly, Jess. She didn't want to get into that today. She was doing everything she could. My sympathy did lie completely with Jess. But I, f- I found Kendall just a little bit heartbreaking as well. I think you might be like a Ken apologist. You're saying I'm a Kenhead? You're a Kenhead. He's so fragile that an employee leaving is like watching a breakup, especially after he'd given her extraordinary access to that big <laughs> rabbit. 
Do you think that Jess is going to go off and do something with rabbits? No, I, I see her going places. Our son is so desperate for a pet rabbit. I know, but I don't think that's the right thing for us as a family. We all know I had a house rabbit in 1992 and it was eaten by a cat and I've never recovered. Spunky RIP. It's not for me to judge Spunky. History will tell that story. Godspeed, Spunky. And God bless. All right. Fun fact. Carrie's brother was played by Carrie's brother. I knew it. We all I knew, knew it. it. I we saw all that head it. of we hair. I imagined it cut into a fringe and I thought that that has to be her real life brother. I thought to myself, I thought there's no way the casting would be quite so literal. They wouldn't be like, well, let's find someone who looks just like Carrie. They're not putting in a bit of light hair relief at Logan's <laughs> funeral. No. But man, those people. I wonder if her parents are too hairy. I mean, that was just the most beautiful scene. I want to not be hyperbolic, but I think it was one of the most moving things in this show I have ever borne witness to. I could not understand how good Zoe Winters' acting was in that scene. She was phenomenal. And when Shiv has her line, when, why is this stuff emotional? You know, but why he couldn't fit a whole woman in his head. And then in the same episode, the show itself reminded us or showed us how whole all those women were. Because Marsha and Caroline and Carrie, these are not all the most likable characters. And yet we saw all of them so rounded out. And you've got your other bit of trivia. Sally Ann, Lady Caroline's Carrie, played by Nicole Ansari Cox, Brian Cox's real-life wife. And the other Sally Ann thing is we last week received the books of the scripts of the first three seasons, mm-hmm. published by Faber, and Sally Ann is mentioned on a number of occasions. In what context? So when Logan is with Raya, I think Roman and Kendall are having a conversation about that and, and say something like, we haven't seen him like this since Sally Ann and the Summer of Horses. And then, I forget exactly where it is, but um, there's some moment when I think Frank, Carl, and possibly Jerry are talking through the different ups and downs over the years, and they mention the black cloud after Sally Ann. Oh my God, it's so intense. Okay, now, I think on Sprinkles last week, we did a certain amount of speculation about whether we'd be able to do a red carpet fashion police at the funeral. Uh Uh-huh. And in the end... I think the the dress code was only really um, contravened by Oscar, who was wearing a black polo neck and a little pocket square. To me, he was dressed more appropriately for après ski. Oh, okay, okay. Propping up the bar at a ski lodge. (laughs) And then Ewan's check suit looked like something an author might wear at a book reading. Any fashion notes from you? Yeah, so I thought best dressed goes to Lady Caroline. That was the coolest look I've ever seen. I think Ebba could have worn that same outfit. (laughs) And then worst dressed, I'm going specifically Kendall's tie. That looks like something my brother would have worn at a bat mitzvah that he got invited to when he was 13. Did you notice it? Yeah, I I thought it looked a bit like, you know when a a footballer goes to a black tie event, (laughs) but they don't want to wear a bow tie. So they think they're really doing something by wearing uh, a tie like that. And and they are. It's just not what they think they're doing. Shiny, trashy, ew, gross. What was going on? I don't know. All right, I know what Jesse Armstrong is going to do next. Is this insider information? No. I don't have any insider information. So what, what should he do next? Okay, what if he does pivot? He pivots out of TV writing. Because I thought, I thought, we're talking about this yesterday. Like what we think he'll do next. 
So then I was like, does he know? Is he questioning? Is he nervous? Is there a low-level anxiety? Is there not? Is he satisfied? What is he feeling? Dear Josie, what are you feeling? Do you want to spitball it with me? If you're wondering where I'm seeing the spitball happen, I have no idea why, but I'm seeing us doing it at um, the Mixed Ponds of Amstead Heath. <laughs> No, the two of you are swimming as you're having this I didn't know it until it came out okay. because I'm so present when I dear Jesse, but I think we're in a mixed pond. Swimming. Why are you treading water? Are you doing treading laps? water. Treading water. Okay. Like treading. Like it's like. It's an exercise socialized situation. Exercise socialize. <laughs> it's like, hey, buddy, we're treading water, but like fun, but like talking, just like shower principle. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Here's what I think you should do pivot, speechwriter. These speeches this fucking dude is writing. Mencken's acceptance speech, chilling. Ewan's speech, chilling. Logan's speech on the floor of ATN. I don't feel we really learned what this show can do speech-wise until season four. You're giving me Kendall. You're giving me Ewan. I'm crying. I'm laughing. I'm scared. But basically, if you're getting stressed out about speaking at a wedding or a funeral, a thing you can do is go onto a website like jessiearmstrong1.com. He's Jesse Armstrong one on Twitter. Who's the first Jesse Armstrong? What a cunt. Like, give the guy the number one. And basically, Unless it's his way of saying, oh, look, I am the number one. He doesn't seem the type. <laughs> I'm a number one boy. But I think that, that he, and because he's a man of the people, I think he'll like keep his sort of rate kind of low. And then he just writes speeches and all of us start doing better at weddings, funeral, and our professional spaces. And the world becomes a better place. Wow. What do you think? I think a lot of people have probably got ideas about what he should do in his career. But mine is original. I think yours is original. Thank you so much. Next, I think it was a lovely insight into Logan's relationship with Connor, that Connor knew about this tomb, this mausoleum, whatever it was. Yeah. like Lo Logan could never have talked about his tomb with his other three children. <laughs> And yet he liked telling t Connor that he'd screwed some guy over to win this tomb at auction, this cat oh. food Ozymandias. <gasps> that hurts my heart that he found a way to talk to his boy. Did you notice that there were four spaces? Well, Connor Bagsy's the top bunk, doesn't he? But doesn't that mean something to you that for all of this stuff, there were no wives and it was just for his babies? Unless it was for those four women. <laughs> so Lady Caroline, top bunk? Yeah. Carrie Bottom? Yeah. <laughs> oh... My heart. All right, this is a, a brain D as a big Q. Brained up his question. Tom is a serious figure because he did what Logan would have done and skipped a funeral to deal with work discuss. Does it count as a question if it doesn't end with a question mark? I didn't feel it was a serious figure moment for Tom, actually. It felt like my attempt to do this job that I landed exclusively through nepotism. He's drowning in, in it. He's drowning in it to the extent that he cannot get to a funeral. And then when he eventually turns up at the wake, he's going on about his tiredness again. Um, Shiv sends him to the apartment. And my worry was that Tom was going to leave and the next episode was going to start and we were going to hear that Tom had been bludgeoned by protesters and was in a coma <laughs> or something. Like the, the, the head of ATN walking the streets during those protests. I thought that was where it was going. And only because 
of the scene with Roman at the end, does it make me think, oh no, that's that's not it. But I, I genuinely got worried about him. What was interesting as well in that scene with Roman is that it felt like the potential for violence in that scene was coming off of Roman. He was mm. looking for chaos because of the downward spiral that he's in. Those are our brain dumps. We'd love to hear yours too. Where was Stewie? Where the fuck has Arian Moyad been? Stewie was in the publicity stills for this episode, but I, I paid careful attention. He wasn't even in the background in any shot, what? which then feels significant that he wasn't. Is there a big boardroom scene coming? Is there, is there something with him and Kendall? Where the fuck is Stewie? Also mentioned in passing was uh, Caroline had invited her kids to a Caribbean air clear. <laughs> That's going to be something, isn't it? And I, and no, I, maybe no. it's not going to be something. You don't think that's one of them nothings? I'll tell you why I think it's going to be something. Why? Because I remember before the series started in the list of locations they'd filmed it. No. Somewhere was exotic no. and sunshiny. We're going to be in the Caribbean at some point for the finale. I'm not happy. This is feeling to me like some sex in the city bullshit. Final series finale, they spend most of it in Paris. And we're all sat there going, like, what the fuck are we doing in Paris? Put us in New York. But how is it different to being in Croatia? Jesse, or, because, or being because in it's Italy. the fucking final. But this, you could say the same about Italy in the last... I'm, I almost feel like I need to do an angry Dear Jesse, but I don't even know how to marry <laughs> those two things. I don't know how to talk to him when I'm angry, but I need to communicate only to him. Listen, I don't know what the fuck you're playing at. I know the the only reason this is maybe passable if I'm about to be in the fucking Caribbean for the fucking finale because this is this it if I am in if I am in the Caribbean for more than a half an hour I'm going to be real pissed off. The finale is an hour and a half. So if you're telling me Sarah you're still going to get an hour, we'll be in New York, we'll be in the world to which you become accustomed, but there will be a half hour interval. Fine. If I spend fucking 30 minutes and 29 <laughs> seconds in the Caribbean. I'm going to be pissed off as a fan. And I'm going to do a spin-off podcast about this whole thing with shit. And the writing is overrated and so is the acting. Have these people not earned your trust? No, they haven't. My trust, but I thought it could be funny. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I am I am disoriented knowing that I'm going to be in the Caribbean, in the finale. So, so that was a little detail I noticed. Did you notice any others? Have you got any theories? Do you think that Tom has maybe got a B12 deficiency? We would love to hear from you for this week's sprinkles, please. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And we should mention our guest for this episode. Oh my God. A dame. I'm trying to sing less, but my body is taking... There is nothing like a dame. Dame Harriet Walter, a.k.a. Lady Caroline Collingwood. I think the way for us to talk through the episode is via the four speeches. Roman's aborted speech, Ewan's, Kendall's and Shev's. And I do think if you take those eulogies combined, you do get a fairly good picture of Logan Roy the man. I have no doubt. And I'm not particularly happy with Jesse right now, having just found out about this fucking Caribbean situation that he's giving me next week. Should we start with Roman's? Roman. And we open on Roman in his apartment rehearsing the speech i should say the second that scene happened i was like oh okay so he's gonna fuck it at the funeral did you notice much about his apartment it didn't give me a hard-on 
a New York real estate hard on. What did you notice? I noticed that he's got his jumpers stacked up and they're all colour coded. But he's not done that. Like he's got help who does that shit for him. But he must have told the help to do it like that. Interesting. My best friend once rang me in a panic. She'd gone to work and then it turned out she was going out in the evening. I had spare keys and she rang me and said, um, I, I desperately need a, a cardigan. Would you be able to drop it off to my work for me? Uh, if you go into my flat, then open the third wardrobe drawer along and then on the fourth shelf up, you will see a pile of cardigans and it's number six in the pile. It's the third from the top. Oh my God. How did you perceive Roman's frame of mind en route to the funeral? Top form. I'm disappointed that my brother didn't make those comments to me when he found out that I was pregnant. I'm not even joking. <laughs> Did you have a thought on what Jerry was thinking during Roman's speech? I think she felt compassion for him. And I think we saw that as well. You know, when it turned out that Ray had filmed it. Oh, And they were Ray. all looking at it. And it, it did feel like a lion crossed. It wasn't like watching Kerry's audition video. There's no such thing as a funeral blooper video is there, <laughs> that goes viral because somebody is having an emotional breakdown. But she wasn't moved to action. It didn't move the needle for her past a point because we weren't ever given a scene of her comforting him because that relationship is over forever. Do you think Roman would have got his speech out as planned had the warm-up act not been Ewan? Yes, I think that, like in life, it's about so many different things. And I think one is the casket, two was Ewan being excellent. Oh my God, that was like when I was asked to open at my brother's wedding. Do you remember? They asked me, they told me to open. I'd written a speech for my brother's wedding and I figured they wanted me as the headline act. And they were like, so you'll go first. And I remember going up to you and being like, they fucking want me to open. Good luck to the middle in the closing act. (laughs) But yes, I think both those factors were the thing. And also Succession was saying to us, guys, process in a real way. Don't think you can pre-grieve. Did you think Ewan would make it all the way to the pulpit? Or did you think Greg would rugby tackle him to get his introduction to Mencken? (laughs) I don't know, but it was real satisfying to watch him fail. And that, that line that Ewan opens with, which is what sort of people would stop a brother speaking for the sake of a share price, it occurred to me that most people in that church yeah, yeah, yeah. is the answer to that and question. And it was, you know, what was so great about it is that Ewan's never been likable. That's never been how he's been put to us as a character. He's a man born to be in a pulpit. <laughs> yeah, but he was phenomenal and so accountable in his speech. It was a good hard take. Is that what Greg says? Yeah. So great. Slimy little sweaty shit. And it it fleshed out Logan's story. I mean, we knew he was a product of a terrible past. Oh my gosh. But the the way it fleshed it out destroyed me. We got the answer to the question of his sister Rose. And we also saw them as little boys. Yeah. The efficiency of it all is actually really beyond do you know can i just say really quickly that one of the things that i read in those um, books that we got was that there's a minimum of like 30 drafts that a succession script goes through wow it is a lot of fucking graft and i thought from learning logan's backstory like that a, a background like that is what makes the man described in kendall's speech Mm-hmm. which in some ways I think is one of the, the messages of this program. A, a Nepo baby is never going to do that. I'm not saying that every titan of industry is from a terrible background like that, but the thing that has given them the drive, for better or worse, whatever it is they've created, isn't just being the kid of a billionaire who's been handed it all. Mm. Did it change your opinion of Ewan at all? 
yes, it made me think that he is capable of more introspection than I thought. Exactly. So I've never liked you and I've I found it to be pious and self-serious. He likes to pontificate. He likes to use his own fortune to manipulate his own family, just like Logan did. But when he says of Logan that he had a meagerness about him and then says, and maybe I do too, I thought that's all I need. Bit of self-awareness. You can forgive almost anything. Oh, I feel sad. Mm. I feel sad that Logan's dead and I feel sad about those boys. All right, so we've talked about Roman. Do you think there was any moment where Connor was thinking, should I go and deliver my speech? His formally inventive speech. Exactly, that yes. That Willa helped him with. Yes. It's one of the things we like most about it. <laughs> so Kendall steps up and he wasn't having a good day, Kendall. No, and normally a bad day doesn't help. You know, some people respond well to pressure. Kendall has so far not been that guy. He'd had a bad start with Rava. Why don't you just start calling her Rava the cunt, Jeff? Would that be helpful for you? I, I don't think Rava did that anything. That terrible but... bitch who's being mean to her addict husband by protecting her children. What a cunt. I don't think Rava did anything wrong in the, this episode. I, I think she had the right instinct to take them upstate to stay with Travis and Robert. Travis and Robert. I know who Travis and Robert are. Oh, I think I do as well. Okay, who are they for you? So I think um, one of them, let's say Travis... Went to uni with Rava and and was her gay best friend. Yeah. Perhaps a, a, a shallow presentation of that relationship, but it was the 90s, Will and Grace and all, all this. Sure. And then, you know, life's gone on. He's met his partner, who is Robert. Mm-hmm. And then during the pandemic, they, they bought a place upstate. Yeah, and it's um really, really nice. Um, I don't think they have children, though. But they're, but they're really good with Sophie and Iverson. Oh, my God. They're the Funkles. <laughs> Never heard that. Fun uncles. Yeah, I know. I gathered. Um, I was able to decode the portmanteau. And there was a point at which they, like, really believed in Ken and Rava. And then there was a point where they were like, we're here. We, we are always your family. They were integral in helping her leave him. And I'm seeing a blonde and a brunette. <laughs> and I really hope they get that they're the spinoff series. <laughs> And and when Kendall gets that phone call from Rava, he tells Fikret, whose face we don't see. What the fuck? So something officially has fucking happened. What is up with Fikret? Maybe Kendall just thinks all drivers are called Fikret. <laughs> but Kendall tells him to, to get there in three minutes and says, I'll figure out all the fines and violations. And again, I thought that was a big part of the show in, in miniature, that the super rich, I want what I want and the rules don't apply to me. And if there are consequences, I'll just throw money at it. Classic Kendall. Yeah. He he really doesn't understand traffic. It's very hard for him. Mm. It's like a big thing with this guy. <laughs> like, I'll start around the corner. You're like, dude, it's... It, uh. Um, Kendall's speech, which was phenomenal. He's never done better. Off the cuff, emotionally literate. What I thought was brilliant about it was he didn't seek to undo anything that Ewan had said. No, it was the most excellent he's ever been. There was a moment the camera cut away to both Matson and Mencken, and they both had a little twinkle in their eye that I thought was supposed to say to us, this guy's got it. Yeah. It's not that Roman guy, it's him, right? Well, kind of. I thought what that was, was Kendall wasn't just making a speech to fill in the gaps after Ewan's speech. He had a job to do. Mm. And he simultaneously spoke from the heart, but also it was this love letter to capitalism blind to all its flaws that Mencken and Matson both got a bit turned on by yeah Ken oh I feel so sad just makes you feel like he's gonna wind up on the throne I guess I don't know 
There was that part where he said of Logan that he he felt comfortable everywhere, from oh. the grandest stateroom to the lowliest house mm-hmm. where his news was played, which made me think of Logan when he went to visit the dead kid's relatives. Mm-hmm. But the point is he could talk to those people. Yeah. Um, do you think you're like that? You can go fuck yourself. <laughs> and I'll tell you why you can go fuck yourself, because... You think you're like that. I don't know about the the grandest state. I don't rooms. think you can do grandest state rooms, but whatever. You're gonna make fun of me. I don't give a shit. Do you you do understand what my job is? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You do understand that part of what I have to do is to go to these fucking places and talk to all these fucking people and make them like me. I was more thinking about if you were inside one of the homes and they offered you a biscuit. I do think there's a, a level of fancy that I can mix with, and a level of non fancy that I can mix with, and the fancy has to do with how I grew up. And the non-fancy has to do with doing club comedy. But the veil is lifted. The truth is known if I'm served any food. <laughs> but if it's like a one-time only thing, I think I could be like, oh, this is so embarrassing, but I just ate. But thank you so much or, or something like that. And then um, then after the speech, Kendall seems buoyed. He's assembling his dream team. Hugo. Woof, woof. <laughs> Brilliant. And Colin. First of all. Scotty, baby, if you're listening, you were phenomenal this week. What's he thinking? It seemed to be prompted by the fact that Colin is seeing a psychiatrist. Did it make you wonder that he would say something during a therapy session that the therapist would ethically be bound to report to the authorities? What? No. So, so of course, what you're what you're referencing is. Covering up the dead kid. Well, right, 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 right. But, but, but also that it got out that he was seeing a head shrinker. So how the fuck does that get out? Who knows that other than Colin and his wife? So I think that part of this Waystar Logan Roy world is that everybody's actions are being monitored by rat fucker Sam and the like at all times. Well, I fucking hope that's what it is because I, I, this show has fucked me up in my head so much that I want that kid to stay dead and I don't want his his killer to be prosecuted. I'll tell you something else as well. Uh, Unlike Logan being comfortable in the grandest staterooms and the lowliest houses, Kendall speaking to Colin wasn't comfortable when he says, hey, big, strong guy like you is so patronising. Do you know, though, I sort of respectfully disagree with you. I thought that in other scenes between Colin and Ken, it always felt like Colin was an adult and Ken was a child. And I, I didn't feel that in the same way in this interaction. And then, of course, the afterglow doesn't last. Yes, the the speech moved him up a notch in Mencken's estimation, but I think that that's all it did. I don't think it was a nothing. I don't think it was nothing, but then by the time they're at the wake. And there's all that chaos that Shiv extracts him from. And say what you will about Greg, actually, in that moment. Tom had given Greg the task of letting Mencken know who was calling the shots in the ATN newsroom. And Greg, who has... No embarrassment threshold. It, it, it's oh impossible God. for that kid to embarrass himself, went and did what he was told to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, he's always good at that. He just can't stop his big grandpa. Shall we shiv? Yes. Um, I didn't think there was any play in Shiv's speech at all. Kendall had a job to do. Shiv didn't. But why did she speak? Because she wanted to colour in the bits that hadn't been coloured. She didn't feel that her daddy had been described up there. That is not how I read it when it was happening, but that's right, isn't it? I thought she was she did sort of a bad job. So I wasn't thinking about the emotional arc of it in that way. Yeah, I don't think it was great oratory or speech making like Kendall's ended up being or like Ewan's was. 
but but it was honest but it it was it was honest it was it was actually it's actually what funerals are supposed to be yeah like a family member wanting to communicate and sort of not doing a great job yeah but all of the feeling is true yeah um and when she was talking about when you were in the light of logan did it make you think of the episode at the house in the hamptons where he offers her (laughs) the top job don't you think it's interesting that you why do I not cry during the show and then you don't cry when you think about it afterwards because you're the professional? Because he said he told her to think about the light and how the light was shining. Just how complicated all these feelings are, how terrible people are, but then not. Logan turning his light on you usually was Logan manipulating you. These people aren't real. These are not real people. No real person involved. I don't want it to end. <laughs> it's that baby in her belly too, and her daddy's gone. We got to hear Matson give his little motto to Menken. Privacy pussy pasta. Yeah, great to hear that again, isn't it? I also I do genuinely like I get aroused hearing him say pussy. What shaped pasta do you think he likes? Spaghetti and he slurps it up like he slurps pussy. The thing is actually he doesn't slurp pussy. Actually, no. Fusily? I'm no, I'm going back on it all. Okay. He does eat pussy. So you're sticking with your original pasta shape of spaghetti. Spaghetti. Do you think it's weird when people have little catchphrases in real life? Do you know anyone who has a real catchphrase? I used to have a, a friend who every time I saw him would say, have you got any scandal, gossip or outrage? That's very funny. Who was that? My friend Patrick. I feel like having a, a go-to phrase like privacy pussy pasta, it's, <laughs> it's like the precursor to, have to <laughs> having a dad joke. Your dad isn't one for a dad joke, is he? My dad's not a fucking moron. <laughs> I'm not saying your dad's a moron if he does a dad joke, but my dad is like probably better than yours and he wouldn't do a dad joke. He has dad bits. No, he doesn't. He has like like observational bits that he'll go to. But they're not dad. Being... They're Excuse me. They're not dad. They're funny. He makes funny observations and funny quips. You you are like Kendall when a member of his family is criticized. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about people's dads dying. I'm very emotional. Um, do you see why... Mencken, the character, is attracted to Lucas. Lucas. Oh, absolutely. So Mencken needed ATN to win the election. But the Facebooks of this world, the Googles of this world, whatever Gojo is, are going to be far more important at the next election. Listening to you explain all that, I realized like a big fuck up that Succession has made, a way in which it's betrayed itself. So when you were just talking about like the Facebooks of the world, I pictured... What's his name? Zuckerberg. I pictured Elon Musk. I picture Steve Jobs. I picture Bill Gates. And like, I eroticize, as a straight woman, I eroticize talent and power. And I can find a lot of weird fuckers very sexy. All the names of the men I just mentioned are fucking repulsive. They would have to pay me to engage sexually with them. I think they're fucking disgusting. All those guys physically, like, disgust me. And Matson is so erratic that I feel it's actually not a realistic portrayal of one of those tech bros. I think I could willow that shit. 
You think you could will it? You yes. think you could get them? Um, what's that lady who wrote the Lean In book? Um, Sandberg, Cheryl Sandberg. You think you could get? You think Cheryl Sandberg is is going to pay money to fuck you? No, no, I don't think that. But I'm thinking if they did, I could will it. I could will it my way through. Oh, like you'd be happy to will it? Yes. Not you have the skills necessary. No, no, I don't think I, I could be a gigolo. I don't. Think. I think you're selling yourself short because I think actually what a lot of women want is to feel heard. They want to feel like they're with someone who's emotionally intelligent. You don't need Viagra yet. Um, a woman's pleasure is important to you. You have red pubic hair. You're like a little unicorn. You're actually great. So I think any of them would be lucky. But imagine being a wealthy widow. Yeah. You call up a male escort agency. Uh-huh. They say, we'll have somebody around at seven. <laughs> I knock on the door. <laughs> Nobody is pleased to see that. That is true. Yes. But like... If I'm trying to present the best side of you, I might tell a story where I felt like my mother was driving me so crazy that I might put my fist through a glass, like a pane of glass. Or like when I'm at that level with my mom, you talk with me and you ask questions or you do anything like that to the point of me being like, will you fucking call my mom because I can't fucking manage it? And you'll call her for me and you'll engage with my mother. Mom, because he he really likes you too, okay? There's a way in which like that sort of you as the best husband that you are. And women want that shit. Women would pay you for that shit. You think people want that from a gigolo? An emotional gigolo. Corner the market. Emotional gigolo. Jeff Lloyd, emotional gigolo. That's what going to say on the business cards. <laughs> so all Matson's maneuvering has got Menken on side. He's going to allow the deal to go through, but only with an American CEO. Mm-hmm. Here's what I think is the big question. Mm-hmm. Is Matson now going to fuck Shiv and it won't necessarily be her? Like, is it Tom? Is it, and this feels like a real stretch, Greg, who's wheedled his way in there. If all, after, if all he's after is a puppet, is Greg too ridiculous a choice? I wonder if what this show leaves us with is the siblings united somehow. Isn't that the most satisfaction that Succession gives us? I don't know. Let's stop with the predictions. I don't all fucking right. know. We're going to know. None of us know. We're all dumb. Jesse Armstrong is also dumb because he put, he's putting part of the finale in the Caribbean. Trust them. But I also trust, trust him. I also them. trust him. It's me again. <laughs> I do trust you, but I mean, also, dear Jesse, like if you're on, um, if you're on set in the Caribbean, like what kind of swimsuit are you? Jesse, <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, the swimsuit edition. Just, no, no, no. But I, I'm asking. Not, I'm, I'm not interested personally, but I have some friends who are. Do you think he tans easily? Yes. I've looked at a lot of photos of Jesse Armstrong and I can confirm he tans easily. I am like your husband, you know. Yeah, but it's all my shtick, honey. <laughs> is it though? Well, it is isn't. It? It isn't. <laughs> all right. Share your feelings with us. How would you rank those speeches? We would like to hear from you for Friday Sprinkles. We have lots for you between now and then. So. Assuming neither one of us has a full mental or physical breakdown, we're going to get you an episode a day between now and when the finale airs. If you're thinking, how do I live without knowing the finale, even though once the finale is over, I'll feel instant sadness and emptiness. We got you, bitch. We got something for you every day. Content. Keep thinking about it. Don't fucking be like, I need some other pot. You don't. I'm giving you something every fucking day, you ungrateful little cunts. Coming up. It's only one of the finest, let's just say most celebrated actors of her generation. Or any. And beyond. (laughs) Of any generation of all time. And the Mother of the Year award goes to Harriet Walter. Dame Harriet Walter. It's Lady Caroline. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One of the reasons I was so excited to um, speak with you today is we are fellow flautists. Ah! I mean, the thing is, I'm, I'm self-taught. I, I really only enjoy playing with other people, and I have a handful of people in the world who would tolerate playing, playing with me while I play the flute, and I don't see them that often. So I don't get much practice in. And I'm I'm useless anyway. The very word flautist that sounds very um, highfalutin. Dame Harriet the flautist. Are you um Are you busking in New York City subways? Because we know that you're working there. Where's all this busking? No, happening? no, that would draw too much attention, don't you think? Yeah, Maybe I do. I busks on the subway. I think. Well, I don't know. Maybe I want that kind of attention. How much time did it, uh, Succession take you away from home for? Then, how long were you in New York this time around? Well, this time around, um, it's the first time I've actually shot in the US because they usually come to us for, for, for my scenes have usually been shot in Britain or Scotland um, and Italy. So it was the first time I'd actually shot in New York, which was exciting for me. So what do they do? Put you up in a hotel? Do you get a nice apartment? How does it work? Well, in fact, I, I would have been put up in a hotel, but for the fact my husband's a New Yorker. Aha. Uh-huh. We stayed in his place and... Um, and I actually went to work from his home. It was quite novel. And in your downtime then, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm at the moment, my big obsession at the moment is writing, which I discovered late in life. Uh, I always wanted to act. And then actually, when I, this is my 50th anniversary. I left drama school in 1973. Wow. Um, having been taught by Brian Cox. <gasps> Oh, this is what we, mean. we thought. These these paths must have crossed over the no. years. He was your teacher. He directed me in a show, and then quite a long while later, we played opposite one another at the RSC. And then 
now, but we've sort of kept them loosely in touch for years and years and years. What roles were you both in? Uh, we were in The Three Sisters, Chekhov, and he was Vershinin and I was Masha. What was he like as a teacher? Very good. Yeah. But actually, he was quite... Hmm, I've, I've told him this, so it doesn't matter if he finds out that I've said this publicly, but um, he had set me up a bit as going to be really good and told all the rest of the staff and the staff kept coming up to me saying Brian Cox says you're going to be brilliant and of course on the day I got very very nervous and the pressure but you know you learn that that was my right early lesson in don't beef somebody up because they'll go to pieces and he actually sort of showed me his disappointment that I hadn't lived up to his claims in what way he, he was sort of passionate as you imagine he would be but he wasn't that much older than us and he understood us and could remember what it was like to be a student. So he was a breath of fresh air. And, you know, he encouraged me to be very what I was at the time. He didn't try to make me something I wasn't. And um, that was really valuable. We've spoken to a few of the actors now. And something I was curious about, specifically with you, is I wondered if it's, it's an odd position coming in for an episode, a couple of episodes every season, into this group who are working together all the time and over these years becoming ever more entwined. That must be an odd experience for you. Well spotted. Now, there's a parallel in me coming into supposedly familiar places and faces and people, and I sort of see them once every 18 months. And Caroline's sort of distance, occasional visits to her family. So I use the fact that I'm an outsider who has affection for these people as a parallel to kind of plug me into the situation. Um, so basically, when I, when I first saw the first um, pilot, which was made long before the series went into production, on the basis of that, I said, yes, please, I want to be in this. And a conversation with Jesse over the phone, in which he just said, you're going to be at your daughter's wedding and you're going to keep asking people how long they think it's going to last. <laughs> And I said, well, that's fine. That's all I need to know. I'll do this job. So that first season, they didn't know what a hit it was going to be, except it was patently obvious that the acting was wonderful and that the scripts were wonderful. But they were visiting my country. I was the hostess, if you know what I mean. Um, second time around, I just hung out with my kids. In season two, I just have a couple of scenes with only my children. And that was lovely because I sort of developed a thing with them. But I also sensed they were a bit tired. I thought, oh, God, they've been doing this whole season, you know, and I've, I've come in fresh and <laughs> let's get going, you know. And they're going, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the third time, everyone was very happy because they were in Tuscany. But they had bonded and got into cliques and groups. And I was kind of, mm, who's going to come out and play with me? You know, there was a bit of that. And then the final time, it felt like, Everyone was moving towards a really sort of gelling, happy, sad, we love one another, don't we, kind of family. And I was included completely, even though my, my actual contribution is really pretty small. Because I am the mother, I'm accepted in the family, even though my actual acting contribution is quite small. But but it's it isn't it isn't because you, you when we don't see you, which oh when 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 are we going to see Caroline? And that's that's there's quite a lot of pressure actually, and not coming in until episode nine because there is yeah, an expectation yeah. people like her. She's funny. That scene with Shiv in Italy is is one of yeah. the great scenes in a, in a great yeah. show. So there's there's a pressure on you coming in and doing that, I guess. 
There is, and I don't know what's going to be put on my plate until quite near the, the moment we shoot it. And do you I, know why you're good at dealing with that expectation? It was a drama teacher in school who equipped you. Brian exactly. Cox equipped you to be good with exactly. that expectation. <laughs> I have to tell you as well, and Harriet, I'll, I'll admit this is just a comment and then I'll move into the, to the question, but I did think that the scenes that you had in that funeral with Carrie and with Haim Abbas <laughs> were some of the greatest stuff on television I have ever seen in my life. It was so moving. I mean, you have to, there was Zoe sort of really upset, which is surprising. You know, nobody mm. realized um, that Carrie would be so upset because we don't know too much about where her heart is. And and then, I, I shouldn't call her high, I'm, I'm Marsha is sort of going through her own struggles. I know that even... However cold a fish you think Caroline is, I secretly know that she's not as cold as everybody thinks she is. Mm. It is such a shield that she puts up. It's her way of taking a command of the situation, being near the front, because this is the father of her children. And people forget that there are three of them spread over X number of years. Mm -hmm. She lived with them as their mother for at least 10 years. On that, the scene in season two where Ken tries to sort of unburden himself on Caroline and she, we understand that her limits are being reached. What's, what's that character's defense of what she does and doesn't have to give her son in that moment? Okay, what is difficult to explain um, is that there was a scene in season one that was cut, a little scene between Kendall and Caroline in which he said he'd been to see, he was working on his self with a shrink who had, had said that he should forgive her. Doesn't go into anything about forgive what. And she says, have you forgiven your father? You know, to try and balance it up. Mm-hmm. And that's full stop. So when he comes into my kitchen in the middle of the night, I don't know he's drowned some boy in a car. I don't know he's just been to see that boy's family. He says, I want to talk to you about something. She said, oh, God, is it going to be something? Are you going to attack me for what a terrible parent I am? Don't let's get close up and personal about, you know, relationships. Let's move on. That's what's going on in her head. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because the audience knows what he's going through, they think, what a cow. Doesn't she see he's pleading for help? Blah, 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 blah. I'm just putting the other side of it. You can join the dots because it's it's what Sarah just said. It's it's you really feel that that character is at the limits of what what they're able to offer. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing, even without having that exposition. I think. Yes, I mean she can't do. I don't know if she never could. She, I I think she probably was quite cuddly for a second with the children, and then put gave them to the nanny. Um, my backstory is that she was really badly parented herself in a cold aristocratic family and nobody gets to talk seriously about feelings in that environment you joke about everything and that's still part of our culture so that's who she is i think she's got enormous anger and desperation inside her and she's lived with logan roy yeah. i think the other thing is um, I mean, I sound like I'm being a big defense person, but because I don't get a lot of time on screen um, and I've figured a lot of things out about where she's at. Yeah, she doesn't want to have a close personal conversation with anybody. She doesn't know how to handle that. Her parents never did it. It's not part of her makeup. Um, let me just feel these things and get on with life in the way that I can deal with. 
um, which means covering it up, being, as she said in the first, she said, I'm just trying to sparkle. It's very difficult to find things to say. I'm just trying to sparkle. And her default position is to say something disarming and rude that kind of gives her some kind of one-upmanship but also makes life fun yes. because she's terribly easily bored and she doesn't have huge self-esteem at all. It must be hard for her to have a sense of how she fits into that family post-divorce and with the kids grown up. Um, we, we see it in that scene when Logan sends Roman to renegotiate the divorce settlement. E- even decades later, she's still trying to reclaim some kind of position as their mother. I thought of it, first of all, the, the, the kids sound completely American and all their demeanour is American and everything they do and say and all their jargon and all their everything is American. So I read somewhere that though that I brought them up in England. I thought, no, they would sound extremely different and behave very differently and have more in common with me if they'd been brought up in England. They were brought up in America. I went there. I was the fish out of water. And I think, as in the Getty household, as in Diana Spencer's mother, you eject the wayward mother and the children belong to the paternal family Uh because we're talking about succession. So therefore, if you can swallow that, if you can get your head round whatever misdemeanors and whatever crap motherhood she was, she was ousted. So fuck you. I'm going to marry who I like. You go and live your lives and stand on your own two feet. And if you can't take it, it's Yeah, all that feels extremely true to the character. And the stuff you were saying there about some of these traits, which are very, I, I would think, upper class, a certain type of repression and an inability to... not maybe be earnest or talk in a certain way about feelings and it's interesting to me that as as a british person i am seeing all these tiny little signifiers that the, the fact that she's eating some disgusting pigeon with um shot in it or that the country house is a bit shabby now an american yeah they, they, these are a certain type of posh person to me but in america they think it's all downton abbey and yet that character is still connecting with the audience how it should be Yes, that's interesting. I mean, it's very hard for me to perceive, and it's very sure-footed of Jesse, because he's a Brit, you know, he knows the scene, but he's believing and taking for granted that that this will all transmit to an American audience. I think it's the ring of truth is really important. It almost doesn't matter that you're not spoon-feeding it to people if it's got the ring of truth to it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I feel that's a great litmus test, really, because... I'm not demonstrating all sorts of things and nor, nor, none of the actors are demonstrating, you know, and yet we're getting a lot of messages and that's down to great writing and not speaking about me, of course, but all the rest of them, wonderful acting. Will Caroline be excellent as a grandmother? She might have a bit of chance, mightn't she? She might. Mm-hmm. It's a little and less she, complicated, isn't it? Because you could hand them back. Mm-hmm. And probably, I'll tell you another thing, because this is slightly autobiographical, um, my grandmother was a very cold mother to my mum, mm-hmm. but we annoyed my mother hugely by saying, oh, we love Grand, she's such fun, you know, because she was wicked and funny and all those things, which maybe Caroline would be. Um, so she might stand a better chance, if Shiv will let her. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, I don't know about that. Another real life parallel is is your dad's family were the founders of the Times newspaper. So you, you've got this uh, somewhere in your family tree, this media organisation. Was, was, Absolutely. Was there any jostling that you could see within your own family? Um, and it's really funny that I very late in the day put that together. I thought, you know, I'm the child of a of a newspaper mogul. You're a nepo you know. baby. <laughs> but it's such a different story. First of all, my great 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 ancestor at the end of the 18th century just founded a new way of printing and started a newspaper, and and it became the Times through his son, his son, his son, his son to my grandfather. It was a direct line, and they did live in a freezing cold. Downton type of house and there was a lady staircase and a gent staircase and never the twain shall meet and servants and all wow. of that. I didn't know ever know my grandmother, but I knew my grandfather is absolutely terrifying. And as far as I know, they sort of occupied completely different areas of this huge house. That's part of the joy of having a huge house when you're rich. Your wife can carry on with her boyfriends. You carry on with your girlfriends. You would love that. I you, would love that. You never meet Keep in the going. middle. But children kind of bounce off what you know, whoever they like best at the moment and play one another off. All I know is I'm the second child of the second son. So I have zilch status. And there wasn't much jostling because it was always going to go to my uncle. You were never going to be the cousin Greg. No. I mean, it's always in a primogeniture thing is there to yeah. avoid sibling rivalries. You know, my dad just grew up knowing he'd never get any of it. The heir and the spare. He was the spare, and I'm the spare, and I'm a girl. Yeah, so, but look at that acting career you got. I, I, I think you're winning. <laughs> what are your What are your finale plans? Well, there's going to be a bit of a bash here. We've had about six finales, I have to say. Oh, because we had to sort of we, we were all so emotional. We had to sort of string it out, and then let's have another party, and let's have another party. And I was actually there for the final scene that we ever shot. So there was a lot of sentiment, a lot of champagne, a lot of tears, a lot of speeches, a lot of I'll love you forever. Does Jesse make a good speech? Oh, he does. He's a real reacher out and he embraces everyone in these wonderful emails. He's the father figure and it all stems from him. But you want to send the blood back up to his head because it's us who are grateful to him. You know, it's like, anyway, so we, we're letting ourselves down very gently and there will be the day when it's, Hey, where's, when's the next party? Oh, there isn't one. The reunion party. Maybe. And can I ask, if, if you're out at the shops or out to dinner and you see somebody clock you and then they start lumbering towards you, can you tell the difference between a Succession fan and a Star Wars fan? On the <laughs> yes. <laughs> Certainly a difference between a Star Wars fan and a Succession fan, but not always a Succession fan and a Killing Eve fan. But I often get surprised. And um, and I often get complimented for things I'm not in. And has your old uh, has oh your old gosh. drama teacher graded you on your performance in Succession? He's he's nice. I don't know if he's actually given me any notes, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he pays much attention to my character. Just I mean, I'm I, my sadness is that we never had a scene together. Yeah, the closest did. we got was you on the speakerphone, wasn't it? That's right. And there is an understanding over the phone, isn't there? There's a certain sort of. Hi, hi, Caroline. Hi, you know, like we know one another very, very well. 
Yeah, mm. but get you away from Peter Munyon. I mean, I know you've married him, but he, he seems like a bit of a drip. <laughs> he's not. He's fun. You like well, him. All Caroline does is belittle him. She enjoys I it. Talk, but she loves someone she can tease mm. and yeah. can laugh at. Um, it's like Shiv and Tom. I was going to say. The poison drips yeah, through. It could, be. it could be. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us uh, today. And we're really looking forward to seeing more of Lady Caroline in the finale. Great. I just loved her. And I learned so very much. Mm. She's exactly what you wanted her to be, I think. Go on, keep talking. I think that type of storied actor with a Shakespearean background, they're either going to be prickly and a bit scary, Mm -hmm. or they're going to be a little bit naughty, a little bit indiscreet, and an absolute hoot. And I feel that she definitely fell into the latter category. Thank God. Are you ready with your favourite lines and turns of phrase from this week's episode? Born ready. Discord makes my dick hoard. Queasy Gonzalez. Hey, by the way, am I allowed to do an impression of Matson? Like, can I do his accent or is that not great? I think it's fine to do a Swedish accent. <sighs> okay, I'm just going to really give over. If you have a little dicky, maybe you don't go to the nudist beach. A Caribbean air clear? If I see you breastfeeding, I'm going to have to jerk off. It's formally inventive. It's one of the things we like most about it. Glad-handing the sad faces. Peter's very excited. I think he's bought his autograph book. Too much. He couldn't fit a whole woman in his head. And I don't think I can fit a whole man in my head, as per my previous ruminations on Matson and Jesse Armstrong. A bidding war with Stalin and Liberace. You two are very hatey-hatey with each other. He was a salty dog, but he was a good egg. What you saw was what you got. (laughs) Woof, woof. I thought you were the sound system. Now you want to choose the track? Supermom's plan. Privacy. Pussy. Pasta. All right, we want your post-funeral thoughts and feelings, please. You've got to have a lot of them. Write them down, baby. Send them our way. Absolutely. Have you got queries, theories, thoughts? Should we try and make Travis and Robert the Anne's disaster in Maine of episode nine? Oh, yeah. Tell us more about Rava's friends upstate, Travis and Robert. (laughs) Um, uh, Which of the siblings will be the first to start calling Peter money and daddy? I hope it's Connor, even though Caroline isn't his (laughs) mum. Will Kendall treat his new doggy Hugo better than Shiv and Tom treat Mondale? Woof, woof. And will there be room for Willa in the top bunk of the tomb with Connor? (laughs) Um, thank you, by the way, to Faber for sending us the new Succession, the scripts books, which are out now. I want to do this. I want to do a very real pitch because I'm very sincere in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we got gifted these books. I have been a little bit open about the fact that despite being a major Succession fan, I wasn't really sure that I would sit down and read the books. Now, I haven't already read all three published seasons of Succession, But the intros, so season one is Jesse Armstrong, season two is Frank Rich, season three is Lucy Preble. And then there is an acknowledgement, I think in all, I think it's the same acknowledgements in all three and it's all from the J-Dog. Worth it for that alone. If you don't give a shit about the scripts, and you mostly do, the intros and the outros on these things. I cried. And... Listen, guys, oh my God, it's summer, but Christmas is going to be around the corner. Anyone that you know who's into succession, flag this in that little noggin of yours right now, because this is this will be a very good Christmas gift for somebody. I'll just say we were just given these as well. This isn't a hashtag ad. 
this is genuine enthusiasm. No, but I'm always like seeking out extra corporate work. So I am trying to show <laughs> that like if what you need is a, is like an authentic cell with meaning, with feeling, I can do that. Also, my meaning and my feeling is real. And we've got his and hers copies because uh, our friends at Acast sent me a set for my 50th birthday as well. Well, I didn't want everyone to know that we have two copies. Now, we promised you something every day in finale week. A, a little something to keep you going between now and the end of all things. Shall we tell them what they have to look forward to tomorrow? Oh, okay, okay. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm hot under the collar. So we will have for you tomorrow a bonus interview with America's hottest fictional fascist. It's only Justin Kirk, a.k.a. Jared Macon. All right, let's go. Okay, Jeff says goodbye. I say, see Chevy cry, see Kendall die, see Roman the showman light up the sky. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.